Welcome to Rogue Bogues, the basketball episode number two. We have a special guest who will be co-hosting for the next while down the track and excited to announce him. Um, he's a good friend of mine, a guy I work with, with the Dallas Mavericks. He was an assistant coach there when I was there for my short three-month stopover. I'll give him a quick intro. Lead him in. His name is Mike Procopio, better known as Pro or Sweet Chuck, as I've come to learn from Police Academy. So... Mike has kind of coached in all different facets. He was involved with Tim Grover's academy. He's been with the Boston Celtics. He's been with the Dallas Mavs, obviously. He's now running his own hoops consultancy firm, which he'll, he'll discuss later on. And most notably, he he worked with, with Kobe Bryant for a number of years. Um, some real interesting stories into the mind of Kobe, which we'll touch on, obviously, down the track. One quick one of how that relationship started. I'll read out an excerpt I found online in an article michael lewis of moneyball fame new york times magazine about houston's shane battier being the prominent kobe stopper bryant told grover he needed to counter this for his upcoming game against battier and he wanted that sweet chucks guy's help which is mike procopio discovered the issue wasn't battier but bryant battier funneled bryant towards the rocket star yao ming daring bryant to shoot over the seven foot six center he fell for it way too often telling bryant he was taking too many shots and a lot of dumb ones was tough but procopio did it all this played out while mike was in minnesota with head coach kevin McHale, and they were at a team function the kobe battier showdown popped up on tv kobe went 14 for 23 scoring 37 points in a victory McHale asked you ever going to hear from that guy again probably not procopio predicted five minutes later this message arrived from bryant we got san antonio tomorrow i want the same thing and that's basically how the relationship started so mike welcome to the show excited to have you as a co-host and fill us in on on what you're doing folks great to be here <laughs> It's fun times. Um, so right now, I actually am running a website called The Hoop Consultants. I started this in 2010 um, while I was still with Kobe. And basically, it's a consulting service for uh, players and coaches and scouts that just sort of want to get in the business, sort of do, you know, uh, Zoom calls and breakdowns and just sort of educating people around the business just because I've had a 20 plus year career in pro basketball, working with some of the best players, you know, and as well, really no playing background, just sort of work my way up and sort of, you know, if, if I can make it that high with, you know, limited playing and looking the way I look, <laughs> I could probably help a lot of average people and, and people trying to get to where they want to get to. So that's basically what I'm doing. Um, I'm a stay at home dad with my, uh, my two kids, my wife, my wife's the breadwinner in the family. And, that's about it. So just uh, watching games and things and just trying to trying to do my business. And that's about it, folks. Yeah. And I think our, our relationship started. I really liked spending time with you. You're, you're a big shit talker like I am. I think we, <laughs> we kind of hit the hit off on a good spot when I got to Dallas because you were talking shit to me from day one. I had no, no idea who you were and then vice versa. And that's basically how I, how it all started I, I give you shit for being bold and a little bit on the heavier side and enjoying food and you give me shit about my australian accent and the fact that i use a certain swear word way too much so i think um yeah i mean that's that's kind of for everyone listening that's how our relationship formed and i know you're very informed with what's going on in the nba world especially with behind the scenes stuff and, and things that people wouldn't hear about every day so it's just a no-brainer to get you on yeah first of all the first time i ever saw you i know we talked about it was 
when you played uh, in Thessaloniki in Greece when uh, you were going against the little fella, J.J. Barea. I think, what, in the semifinals in yeah, Greece? Yeah, quarters, that? quarters, yep. Quarters, yeah. It was a great tournament. I mean, unbelievable tournament. And uh, just because that's the first time I ever heard of you. And your guys were just sort of such a great team to watch. And yeah, it was pretty funny. But yeah, that, that time in, our time in Dallas was pretty funny. Just talking, uh, talking shit and having a good time. And, you know, I, I like being around players like you because you just told it straight. No BS. No, you know, <laughs> you, you told, you told, you know, you sort of tell you how it is. And that's what I, I respect that. It got me in trouble a little bit, but so be it. <laughs> um, and then back in the back in the days when you saw me, I had a I had a really good haircut too, the blonde tips. So I'm sure you remember me. In the I love the blonde tips. I thought you were in a boy band back then, <laughs> Backstreet Boys. Anyway, let's let's get into it, man. Last week I touched on Open with the Clippers on the basketball pod, and it looks like we're doing it again. There was some big news out of um, from TMZ of all of all news breakers. They don't usually break a whole lot of NBA stuff unless it was someone banging <laughs> someone, but. Yeah. Um, Jerry West getting sued for $2.5 million from a gentleman named Johnny Wilkes. Apparently, Johnny feels like he brought Kawhi Leonard to the table for the Clippers to sign him through Jerry, and he has a bunch of phone calls he recorded. It's an interesting story because I did some research on Johnny Wilkes. He runs a not-for-profit organization helping inner-city youth of LA, so potentially a bit of a red flag there, opportunistic, if he's suing someone for $2.5 million, but... I guess I want to talk about how, how do you see it going going down? How, what do you think happened? And then we'll dig a bit deeper of, of the opportunist side of, of the NBA. You know, Bogues, like, obviously no one really knows, and, and I'm sure the NBA is going to do their due diligence, talk, you know, sort of investigating it. I think in the NBA, there's only a certain amount of players that are elite players in the NBA. I have it around seven. If you have an opportunity to get a guy like that, you know, Kawhi, you have to sort of talk to everybody involved with the kid. Now they talk about cheating and, you know, talk about tampering. I mean, a lot of NBA teams do it. And I don't know if he did it like but this guy's saying it. He probably didn't. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think the guy's a little opportunistic, to be honest. Everybody say they could deliver a deal. I'm sure may, maybe this guy presented himself to West. And what's West not going to do? Not talk to the guy if he's involved with the kid. Now, depending on how involved he got, um, I just think it happens. There's so many people involved with these players. There's, you know, there's the agents, there's the street guys, there's the cousins, there's the uncles, there's the and that's you know, my the point. family that man. That's my yeah. point. Like that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Like people don't understand how many layers. Like especially when you're talking about those seven or eight elite players you have as elite, even the middle tier yep. for agents. There's, you know, generally you have more Paul as a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George, but. I mean, you hit a spot on the layers you have to go through to sign some of these top free agents. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it is. And there's just so many people involved with these players on a daily basis that no one really talks about too much. And they've got all these like these people around them. You know, I would say a player on the average, and I don't care if you're talking about you know LeBron James to Johnny James and everybody in between. These players have an average of about a 10 to 15 people that deal with them from agent, family, friends, girlfriends, you know, wife, whoever you're talking about. And you have to go through them. And, I, and if you want to sign these players, and especially big free agents, and that was a big free agent signing for them. That, you know, they, they set everything up to sign, you know, to sign this kid for, the, for a year in advance. And... Look, you're gonna you're gonna reach out to these people if if that's gonna give you a better chance of signing them. 
you know, and that's Kawhi Leonard. Now, if it was like an average player in the NBA, obviously, you know, you're, you're still going to want to sign him and, and get every advantage possible, but you're definitely going to try to talk, you know, with this guy saying they offered him money, you know, when I'm reading a couple of reports that, that they, they, they offered him money if they got this thing done. And I don't know. I, I don't know about all that. I don't think they're going to, you know, I don't think they're going to go all in like that, but this isn't college basketball, but you know, I don't know. It, it's it's still going to be interesting to see what the NBA finds out on it. Yeah, and I think there's – you'd be silly to think that there's not recruiting going on before a guy's a free agent or a guy might be restricted. Another rival team, big market team might say, hey, opt out of your deal. We'll give you a, we'll give you a max deal. You know, that always, that happens through agents and that's, that's pretty much – it's borderline tampering, but it happens on a daily basis. I think this yeah. Johnny Wilkes thing, I think it was as simple as Jerry West probably just said, you know, Johnny Wilkes said, what about me? Take care of me. And Johnny probably just said, hey, yeah, well, oh, sorry, Jerry West said, um, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Like kind of just played it off like, hey, yeah, whatever, like just, just get get Kawhi at a meeting or whatever and I think Johnny's probably most likely taken and ran with that um, so it'll be interesting to see what the NBA does but $2.5 million I, I doubt I doubt uh, Jerry West is that silly to number one put a figure out there and number two put it on record so it will be interesting yeah. to see it's, it's a crazy time in the NBA and I've even been part of teams that had signed you'd probably know about these kind of things that had signed a free agent let's say this year that's in the same agency as an elite free agent who's, let's say, free next year as a favor to the agent. So basically, hey, we'll sign one of your guys. We'll overpay him for a year or two. But then when you're big fish as a free agent, come to us. And and that's just the way you know the dirty business works, right? Yeah. And then the other way around, I mean, you get these NBA players, uh, NBA agents that have this conglomerate of players that said, look, you better take care of this guy or you know, you're not getting any visits from our guy. When the big fish comes in in a couple of years, you know, we see it all the time happen. If you have a big stable of players, it happens on both ends where the, where the team just says, look, we'll take care of you, this guy. And then, but we need this guy. Or, you know, the agent takes advantage of it and say, look, I got a stable of five, five out of the top 10 free agents that are going to, ha- you know, be in, you know, be on the market next July one. Uh, you need to give this guy, you know, two years, 24 million. And then we'll talk about, you know, and then you'll have a chance at these guys. But if you don't do this, then we're not going to, we're not even going to bring you to the table on this other thing. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, I mean, we'll get, we'll get into it down the track on other pods, but it's a, it's a dirty industry. And, and wherever you look, players, coaches, media, it's, there's, there's so many layers that no one ever talks about. People, I don't know if they strategically keep quiet about it or they just get on about their business happy in their role, but yeah, it's, it's messy. Anyway, we'll move on from that. I, I think the NBA will handle that as they see fit. Um, we also saw, I spoke about Kyrie last week as well about, you know, he's an intriguing fella. He, he goes to the beat of his own drum, but he was, he was caught on, on film burning <laughs> some sage in Boston of yeah. all places where you're from. Um, Obviously, he's been he played there before, and maybe thinks there was some bad spirits when he was there. But um, interesting, interesting seeing that footage of, of walking around uh, the court, burning sage. I mean, you know, folks, the NBA right now, besides the on the court product, the off the court product is just they want that to be almost as good, if not better. So they love that stuff. It's like the WWF. It's like a. It's like wrestling. They want all this stuff like they want all this on social media they want you know it's just a story on top of the story it's not really a big deal to me but it is a little weird you know burning stage going through the the garden probably wanted to bust their chops a little bit he knew it's probably going to get filmed 
So I've been around the kid. He's not he's not a bad kid when you get him a, 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 like alone. I worked at camp uh, for Nike out in China with him a few years ago, and I, I took him as someone who was like really astute of the game. You could talk basketball with him. He's pretty smart. He wants to be the alpha dog for sure. But I just think that he knew that thing was going to be filmed. And, you know, he wanted a little attention on it. And as you know, he's a guy that speaks his mind, you know. Yeah, he got it. I think that's a fair point. I think the league loves that that sideshow stuff. Um, It is becoming Hollywood-like and the off-court stuff and Instagram and all these all these quick hit videos. I think that's that's about as much of the drama these days as you can get. I, I mean, I, I didn't think it was a big deal. I don't know Kyrie has his detractors, but I think I respect him just because he gives no fucks. Like he he goes he goes and does his own thing. You might not agree with it, but he goes and does it and doesn't care what other people think. Yeah. So he, that's my my kind of guy as far as that goes. But you don't have to agree with everything he said. Getting on to to preseason, I always I always laugh. Um, getting on online, you know, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, when it's NBA preseason, and just watching fans and even journalists to an extent, like the hype in preseason. I think look, you want to have a little bit of of excitement because it's preseason but how do you feel about about preseason i mean is it overhyped underhyped i always i kind of don't really watch the preseason um just based mm-hmm. on because i think you got guys shooting threes that wouldn't usually shoot threes you got oh this guy's back in great shape when you know a month later he's going to be eating bad on the road and he's going to be back to his usual self or, or vice versa you know and how do you feel about the preseason as far as a, a fan's point of view to me i think it's the nba so everything is going to be overhyped you know, everything's going to be overhyped. That's what they want. They want a hype machine. Um, to me, dealing with it on a development standpoint, I like it because young guys get to play and those obscure guys get to play and you get to see what they, especially rookies that, you know, I just wrote an article for my uh, blog on my website about it, about how an NBA rookie develops. And you get, and especially this year has been so strange with no summer league and things. But even in a regular year, folks, you got summer league, you got like GERD camp that they go to in Vegas. They got their workouts and they got training camp. They don't really play in real NBA games. So for me to get to see rookies and young players that don't usually play, get a uh, chance to play 15 to 18 minutes or 20 minutes in an NBA game to me is good. I don't think the veterans really care about any games until almost all-star break anyway. And that's kind of my pre- point. That's more to where I'm, where I'm leaning. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I'm with you. I don't think they care. I think it's more like young guys, the fans get to go. Usually it's a little cheaper and, you know, to go to games in the preseason. So, you know, more people get to go, but I, I'm, I don't, I don't really take a lot of stock in, in preseason. Yeah. As a fan, I don't really watch it. I wait for the, the real games to start. Um, and even, even the first couple of weeks of the regular seasons, the same kind of thing. But I mean, one example I'd have where it is useful when, when I got first got to the Warriors in, in 2011, 12, we then went into an off season where we kind of, we drafted Harrison Barnes and Draymond Green and Fessas Yili. And it was a losing uh, franchise organization, basically one playoff appearance for the last, I think it was 15, 20 years before, like Chris Mullen days or something like that was the last playoff <laughs> yeah. appearance before that one against Dallas. So we we set a goal of, hey, we know summer league's not that important to win. We know preseason games aren't that important, but we, we set a goal of let's let's change the mentality to winning. Like one, if we're going to be out there competing, why not try win it? And we ended up winning summer league that year. We ended up going, I think we went undefeated in the preseason, which for us was yep. was big because we sucked. Like we we won 20 games last previous season when I when I got there halfway through the year. And I think it, it mm-hmm. helped us kind of switch that mentality to like, okay, these games aren't that important. 
but they are important to us. And then you see how kind of the Warriors ascended after that and then, the, you know, Steve Kerr comes in two years later winning a championship. So I think it can, it can really be good for a culture reset, but I think with an all-veteran team, like if you said the Warriors, when they had KD, everyone healthy, their preseason, their offseason – doesn't mean shit, but I think for a younger team, like you look at the, the Knicks, the the Timberwolves, those kind of teams that have that have sucked, if they utilize that time, I mean, I, I agree with what you said earlier. It can be it can be really good for your team. Yeah, one you know there was one story that I remember, and I'm almost positive it was preseason. We had um, an undrafted rookie named Dorian Finney-Smith that you played with in, in yep. Dallas, and he was a long shot to make our team. He, he actually he was represented by a, one of my best friends. And he was a good player. He's one of those guys under the radar, tough kid. And we were playing Milwaukee. I'm almost positive it was like the last game. And then there was like a split. We had a, a kid named Jonathan Gibson on our roster. And I, I know we were, a bang, we were banged up at the point guard position. And Jonathan was like a, a player who played in China and, and what have you. And there was a lot of talk about Jonathan making our team over Dorian. And I knew Dorian, if you look at him, that he'd he'd be a, a starting NBA small forward because he could really defend. Well, it came down to it last game, and he we played Milwaukee, and he basically shut down the Greek freak for about 30 minutes. Not shut him down, shut him down, but had a great – I mean, he work, really yeah. took it seriously. Yeah, and he ended up he ended up starting most of the season for us, and, and we never even thought he was going to make the team. So if you have the right mentality, players could really do a lot in, in, in preseason. But for the most part – Look, your veterans aren't going to play. You know, this year might be a little different because of COVID and and, and they you know jump starting the season so quickly. But for the most part, I, I think it's I, I'm not I'm with you, Wogs. I'm not a big big fan of it. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it can be useful. Let's put you on the spot straight away. I'm going to go season preview. Nothing too crazy, but we'll start with the West. I'm just going to give. I have changed my prediction already from last week about the conference finals in the West, uh, the East. Sorry, of course. You got to change. Um, but this is all barring health. I mean, I have for my Western Conference top eight, I have so LA, LA, Denver, Utah, Dallas. I think those five are certainties. I don't, I don't see them falling out. Then my next mm-hmm. three to fill that eight are Golden State, Phoenix, Portland. These are all in no particular order. That's my mm-hmm. eight. I have New Orleans as my intriguing team. I think they could be better than we think, or they could just completely be at the bottom. But with with Van Gundy, who's a bit of a nutter as far as discipline and that kind of stuff, they have a, a strange roster, but something about it, I think they could they could steal a few wins here or there culturally. So that's my West. How do you how do you see the West panning out? Well I'm I'm sorta of with you. You know, the Lakers I get the Lakers up top, Clippers second, Denver third. I think Dallas being so good with you know, Luca and then those role players that play so well. The question is, could put you know, what's Porzingis gonna be like when he comes back? I, I think that, you know, Dallas, because they're so good offensively, could be a you know, a four seed. Utah to me, I like, but something about them with the lack of firepower bogues, I think they're gonna I have them at six. So my my eight's gonna be Lakers, Clippers, Denver, Dallas, Portland, Utah. Um, Phoenix, Golden State. Now, the reason why Golden State at eight, I think with so many minutes that Steph's going to have to play and they're going to have to run him wild and he's going to have to play really well in Draymond as well with without Thompson, I think that's going to be really tough. And then, and then some of the pickups, their bench isn't great. I mean, obviously, you know, they got they got good culture and everything and all that, but I think without Thompson and 
I, I just, I don't trust it so well to, to have them at like six, seven. But I think that, you know, I think that it's going to be tough for them to really, you know, to make a push for like six or, or what yeah, have you. But I, mean, I'm, I have them, I have them seven to eleven. I mean, yeah, they're seven yeah. To I'm 11. usually terrible with that. And with New Orleans, I really like the Stephen Adams pickup for them. You know, I think he he sort of gives them sort of toughness and and basketball IQ. And I, I think he's one of the best centers in the league. Bledsoe's good for their defense. Van Gundy's going to get a little bit out of them. And Zion, to me. It's hard because of his body being so bad, you know, and injury prone. Can you play him and Adams together? I mean, they're both. I don't think you can for long periods. I, I think you can for stretches. I mean, if, if Zion's having one of those games where he where he shoots three from three from three, maybe. But I mean, I, I see Zion as more a you know modern day five man the way the way the league's going. Folks, you know, he's a talented kid for sure. But to me, I always ask basketball people, what is Zion? You throw him in the game besides being really efficient with, you know, the way he scores and things. He's not a great shooter. He's not really a fluent ball handler where you can go by it. Um, he's not a great playmaker. So what does he really do to solidify himself as a, a perimeter player? I'm with you. I think he should play five. But, you know, I love Adams. And obviously, you know, Zion's the future of their franchise. But. Yeah, it's just, you, know, roster you, just you just can't play a four and yeah, a five for a long period. The, the old Zebo Marcus Old days of Memphis, they're gone. Like you just can't. You wouldn't even do it for a minute these days, almost. You know, um, with the way the list. He's going to have to shoot the ball. Yeah, he's yeah, going to have to. Yeah. Not right now, but in the next three years, he's going to have to really make a concerted effort to a get his body in really good shape, which he has never been in. And second, he's going to need to be able to shoot the ball. Yep. Do you see anyone? I mean, I have, I have, you know, LA, LA Clippers, Lakers in the in the conference finals. I think, I think the Clippers will hopefully fix their cultural issues. Um, that was reported a couple of weeks ago that there was obvious problems in the locker room there. You'd hope a Beverly or even a Paul George or a Kawhi get that group together or away from the basketball court and away from organized meetings and, and actually have some team dinners and, and try to fix what they. I think they they should hopefully. I think they'll be better culturally. Um, I think they got a wake up call that talent doesn't win it all. But I have LA LA in the conference finals. Where do you see mm-hmm. that? I see that. I, I see it the same. I think the Lakers, for what they did in, in the in the in the off season, I think they're a better team. Oh, big time! And the Clippers, yeah, and losing Her- and Montrez is big for the Clippers and not really getting anything back for them. Now you know they did get um, uh, you know they they. They made some minor changes to their, you know, their second unit, but I don't know. They're trying to, you know, you, you hit, you read that they're trying to trade Lou Williams and, and some things, but um, I think the Lakers, just because of the team, the players they have, I think that uh, that they they brought in, I think that they're probably going to be the favorites in the West. Yeah, I think that might be the best retooling I've seen from a championship team in a long time. I mean, I think they really, they really did a great job with what they could work with salary cut wise, which wasn't much. You got two max guys in LeBron and Davis. They somehow pulled off a few miracles and they retooled real well. Yeah, they did. Now the thing is, going forward though, folks, you got Davis and LeBron taking up almost a hundred million in salary. So the Schroeder thing in Kuzma to me has to do something for them and be a little bit more simplistic the way he plays going forward if they if they, if they want if he wants to earn that extension from them but this is basically going to be their team because they can't really they're not going to have any salary flexibility you know so you know the schroeder these two guys plus schroeder and they got to get something from kuzma i'm actually pretty this horton kid 
Um, I'm pretty excited to watch. Yeah, he plays hard. He plays really hard. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, the Lakers are pushing their chips to the table for the next year or two. LeBron's age, they're, they're trying to win as many as they can, and then they'll probably be back down to it to a rebuild after LeBron leaves, you'd assume. So I guess that's kind of their mentality. But moving on to the East, the East is to me pretty similar. Um, I have, I have Milwaukee, but this is in no order. I have Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto, Miami, Brooklyn. I have Washington in with Russ there. Um, I think they played pretty yep. well towards the end of last season, had a lot of injuries. It was basically just Beal. So I think Russ's injection will get them in. And then Indy and Philly, I have Orlando in nine. I guess my question is, do you see anyone below Orlando? Let's say Orlando finishes in the top nine somewhere. They're, they're the nine top teams. Do you see anyone below nine winning 30 games in the East? Well, that bottom in the East is, you know, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's real it's bad. pretty bad. Yeah, it's bad. And I don't, I don't see it. I, I really don't see it. The, the the bottom of the East is tough. You got a lot of teams that are trying to develop and they're trying to do. I don't know what they're trying to do to be honest. But there's but not even I one team that you would you would take a flyer on at a hundred to one with a sports book here where you say, "Oh, this team could possibly scrape into the playoffs or be or even win thirty games." There's not one I'd pick. Like not one. No, I, I'm not. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not going to bet on New York. I'm not going to obviously Detroit's one of the worst teams I've seen in a long time. Chicago, um, Cleveland. Just, yeah. yeah I'm just, it's hard to find. It's hard to find really. Yeah. It's a tough one. Here's my thing. Both. I want to talk about a little bit with, with the Eastern rankings. I think Miami's going to win. I like Miami's team because the way they play the ball movement, they got shooting, they got Butler. If he could stay, you know, obviously if they could keep him healthy and going Dragic with Milwaukee. What do you think? Like, all you, all you hear in Milwaukee is, well, they got to get their team better. They got to get their team better because of Giannis. Because of Giannis, like, my thing with Giannis is, like, how about talking about Giannis's inability to do three things? Make shots because he's, he's about a 30% three-point shooter. Make free throws. He's, now, which was a weird year. He went from, like, 73 to 63 from the line. In the and bubble, then not too. have really yeah. – yeah. And, yeah, and not going – and no go-to move. Not in a post, not in a mid-range, nothing. And with Kobe, like Kobe would always tell me, like, and, you know, I worked in Michael Jordan's camp when I was, you know, about 15 years ago. He ran a, a camp down to Santa Barbara. And the reason why I worked is I wanted to talk to him about footwork. That was sort of my, that's the thing that I study the most. And, and Kobe and MJ gave me the same answer when I would ask him. He's like, look, when, when I need to do something, I know I can get to the elbows or the block. You know, so like if I need a basket, I know I'm going to elbow or block. And with Giannis, for them to make the next step, it's not about like getting more talent in with them. He's got a, cause they got a pretty good team. Not every team's perfect, especially bench, but like he needs to be able to, to upgrade that shooting and get something to go to in the post. And he's got to make free throws. And I don't care if you bring in the dream team, redeem team or unseen team with that roster. If he can't, because in playoffs, they're going to play him the same way. You know, he's got that straight line drive. He's got that spin. And he doesn't really have anything else to go to. And he needs to develop that. Yeah, Miami really did a great to- job. Miami was one of the first teams I saw that actually attacked him 
when he was in the middle of the floor attacking, they attacked him free throw line and above. They actually had guys sitting on the elbows where teams, because of Milwaukee shooting, wouldn't do that. They try to they try to come and meet him late at the dots, and Giannis is already a euro step away from dunking on you. So Miami were interesting, and they just did they just dared the, t- the role players to make shots. And I agree. I think I think there has to be stretches where Giannis plays a five. I really do. I think you know he's not going to be a, a great three point shooter. It's just not. I don't think you know he's just so long as well. And 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 as you know, it's harder for longer guys besides KD, who's just a freak to to shoot the ball at a high clip from three but I would agree I think he, he really affects the game in so many ways that we don't know as well like you know deflections defensively he's, he's got his hand on every ball the defensive end but you know in playoff basketball as you mentioned it, it dries up that open court style really dries up the refs swallow their whistle it's much more physical especially in a conference finals pressure lifts and then you know Giannis is seeing four or five bodies in front of him every possession it makes it hard um, and like you said I, I, I had them as in the conference finals, I've kind of reneged on that after looking at their bench. Mm-hmm. I, I think their their bench is is worse than it was last season. I think they, they lost some they lost some good players unless they make some sort of mm-hmm. trade. I like the Drew Holiday. I think that's an upgrade on Bledsoe for the most part. Agreed. Not a, not massive, but it's, it is an upgrade. But their bench has gone downhill, and over the course of of the bubble with so many games, if, if it goes back to a bubble or regular season and travel, I think you need some bodies on that bench. So I don't even know if they they might not finish first this season. No home court, you know. So fans can't come in the building really. Um, I, I would agree with you. I think it's I've kind of changed my tune. I have. I know you like uh, Miami. I like I like Philly still. I think. I like Brett Brown as a coach, but I think Doc will breathe some new life into those guys. I think um, it's it's now time for Embiid, Simmons, that group. There's no, there's no more excuses. I don't think. I think this is it. You know, if you if you're not gonna not gonna win it here, um, whether they make that trade with James is who knows. But I, I think Philly, Danny Green, I think will help them. I think another long body defensively, they can switch. Um, so I have mm-hmm. Philly, and then I, I have Brooklyn. Actually, I, I think KD in the East is just going to run an absolute muck. I think he's. He's the best player I've I've seen up close. I mean, Steph's up there, but KD's just. I mean, he's seven foot tall. He doesn't like talking about it. He's seven foot tall. He's longer than than a center and myself. He's seven 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 eight wingspan, and he just he's just a natural scoring bucket. Um, and one of the you know I think he'll he'll lead them. I do. Funnily enough, I hope somehow James Harden ends up in Brooklyn just for comedy relief because. Can you imagine yeah. th- those three guys who need the ball to, to score? Can you imagine two of them being told, hey, man, get to the corner, just spot up, and be, if I throw it to you, you just get ready to shoot it? No, I don't. I don't. I, I don't envy Steve Nash at all, but, you know, um, they do have a good team. It, it, I, I really think that if Harden's going to get traded, he's going to Philly. I don't think he's going to go to Brooklyn, but it will be comical, and it'll be tough. Those guys cannot I, – I don't think – I'm not a fortune teller, but I don't – if you just sort of putting your hat on it, I don't think that those three guys could really play together with that. It'll be really tough. Yeah, I agree. Harden struggled. Yeah, Harden struggled the last two guys to try to do that. Chris Paul and Westbrook, yeah. like anybody else yeah. that needs the ball. Well, imagine struggle. two other guys next to you at that capacity. You know, it's. I think I think KD and and Kyrie are enough scoring. Then you got Levert. You got a few other guys who are coming to their own as well. I think they got a good balanced roster. They got. Two good bigs, a young fella, um, and they got DeAndre and Jared Allen is a young fella. They got a good mix, so I think they have it. They have a chance. Um, but this is all of healthy. So I have, I, I call it Brooklyn, Philly, East, LA, LA, West. What do you got? I think for me it will be. I feel as it will be Brooklyn and Miami in the East. And I think Miami wins. I, I I really like their team. They share the ball. They don't really have a star on their team. Butler's a good, a really good player, a tough kid that, that puts everything on his shoulders, but. 
they 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 got a great coach and they got good play they got really good players and they got shooters and cutters and guys who could pass the ball. I think Tyler Harrow will make a little bit of a jump up. So I, I think those guys um I think in Miami, LA and again until Miami gets a superstar in there that they could just feed to and could score all night long from different places on the court. I think I think the the Lakers would be a little bit too much for them to handle. So by LA, you're saying the Lakers, yeah? Yeah, I, yeah I'll yeah. say the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's pretty close. I think it's wide open. This is all barring injuries and trades, and once the whole circus starts in the NBA, a lot could change. So moving on real quick, we'll, we talk NBA a little bit here. Obviously, I played in it. You don't know a whole lot, whole lot about it, so we're giving you some homework for the next pod. We'll, we'll touch <laughs> more on the NBA. Their, their season starts – up here in, um, I believe it starts mid-January, so pretty competitive league. Like I played here for two seasons, a lot of former fringe NBA guys, so it's, it's a fun one for you to follow. It's, it's only nine teams at the moment, um, so we'll, we'll set you some homework there, but that'll be something for you to do. We'll get on to, this is a kind of a fun part, um, we'll get to the Ask Me Anything segment, so I usually do six questions because my playing number for the most part was six. And yeah, just let the fans shoot the shit with us. So I'm sure we'll get more if you want if you want questions for myself or for pro, whatever it is, Kobe questions, myself, Warriors, whatever. Make it by next week because you know I'm getting fired soon. So don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, it's been pretty tame. We shouldn't get canceled yet. Let's get at least, th- we'll get our first cease and desist letter in probably two weeks, three weeks, I'm calling it. <laughs> Right now, I think we've been pretty tame. So if you want to ask any questions to us, go to Rogue Bogues on all the social media platforms, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and all that fun stuff, at Rogue Bogues. And then the, the contact email is there. We just need your name and your and your city. So most of our questions pro right now are from Australia. So we'll get to the first one. It's from Max Vadas in Melbourne. My question is, do you think it's a bit ridiculous that the NBL owner owns a team in his league? Also, does Melbourne United have unlimited salary cap? So a bit of background for you, Pro. The, the owner of the NBL, there's a, we have an owner of the league. Um, so the league was in, in, in big big trouble about 10 years ago. A guy came in and, and basically spent a lot of money. His name's Larry Kesselman. He's done a fantastic job of, of revamping the league. He initially was a team owner. Then he moves on to buying the league. The issue that a lot of people find is he, he still owns a minority holding in Melbourne United, which is one of the one of the teams in the league, whilst being the owner of the league. And potentially there's rumors that he owns a percentage of a few other teams floating around the league. So that's where that question lies. I'll answer it first and get you to chime in. I think it is, aesthetically, it is a bit of an issue, Max. I think it doesn't look good when you give it the eye test. But, you know, in Larry's defense, he's opened his, his wallet. He spent from what I guess and what has been reported of 30 to $40 million of having the league up and running the last five years. I would urge him to sell his team interests because I think it just creates some transparency. And I mean, I'm not going to lie, when I was when I was playing Melbourne United and we got a bad call in Melbourne, you can imagine the first thing that came out of my mouth was, you know, I told the referees just because just because the owner of the league owns his team, don't screw us with calls. And that was my reckless self. Um, as far as the United salary cap, I don't think they're doing anything to cheat it. I think there is a there is a cap, and if they go over, they pay a luxury tax. I don't think there's anything fishy there, but I do agree that um, Larry, you know, should relinquish interest in, in in teams if he's involved as the team owner. But at the end of the day, no one else is writing the checks, so if he wants to run it rogue like that, I guess he has to. How do you feel about that? Yeah, Bugs. I mean, obviously, you're going to look at it and anything. Just the the eye test. You know, people are just going to. Anytime there's anything even close to something that's not sounding good and it goes in the favor of his team, they're obviously going to say, wait a minute. I, I, I'm with you, though. Like, if the league was struggling financially and this guy actually spent money to keep teams afloat, then you got to you, you got to give it to the guy a little bit and say, look, like this, you know, without him, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, big time investors 
around to buy teams sometimes. But it does it doesn't look good, you know, as far as the league's perspective. But unless they could find people to take on his debt with these teams, that I just think you got to roll with it and say, look, this guy sort of saved us from some things. Well, which we are now, that, and that's the problem. I think the league's starting to get a bit more notoriety. Um, Melo Ball, RJ Hampton were here last season, and John Wall's invested in the Southeast Melbourne franchise. Oladipo has invested in New Zealand. Sean Marion's invested in New Zealand. I'm involved with the Sydney Kings. So there's bigger names getting involved now, and I think you know the more these names get involved and more funding's coming in, I think there's a valid point to say that that needs to get cleaned up just because you're going to get more eyeballs. You know, the last thing you want is, is someone over in the States talking about our league and then saying, oh, hang on a second, the, the league owner owns teams and what's going on over there. So I think right now it's it's okay, but I think he should be looking to, to move on. But um, thanks for your question, Max. Number two, I think this is a perfect question for you, Pro, and I'll let you handle this one. I'll read it out for you and you go for it. Um, my name is Ollie Odell. Grew up in Adelaide, South Australia, currently 21 and I attend the University of Rio Grande in Ohio, an NAIA school. I'm studying and pursuing my dream of being a professional coach one day. Just wondering if there was any best advice you'd give a young coach trying to make an impact. My ultimate goal is to one day be a part of the NBA team and hopefully the national team because why aim low? Is there any particular quality your best coaches possessed or had a key impact? I would love to know. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of paths to get to the NBA if that's your goal. Um, it never really was for me. I, I just sort of lucked out with it. What you need to do is get as much, ex- either two ways. You can either go try to be an intern for an NBA team and go through this system as a young, you know, as someone who's young, who they could sort of train the way they want you to train as a coach. But that's really tough. Uh, with COVID, there's very, there's a lot of cutbacks on staff. What I would suggest is getting as much experience as you can. You know, if you're going to be a workout coach, um, like I did, I'd be a high school coach or a college coach or open up your small little training academy and continue to, you know, continue to get better at your craft. Seek out a couple of older coaches that are experienced that know things in those areas and try to, you know, try to lean on your mentors as much as possible. And a lot of it's pro bono. A lot of it's for free, right, pro? Like like you did a lot of this stuff, even even working for Kobe. Um, it was, you know, some of it's pro bono. Oh, my gosh. I've. You know, I worked for free. I started coaching in '94. I didn't make, I didn't make more than ten thousand dollars in basketball probably until I was about twenty-eight. So I, I, I basically went ten years of doing these camps, doing a lot of pro bono stuff. It is tough. That's why I think that just you gotta earn, you gotta work on your skill in whatever you want to be an offensive coach, defensive coach. Watch as much film as you can. Get a mentor that's going to teach you. Actually coach at a high school or a college that you could actually get experience working with people. And then when COVID sort of stops or at least gets cut down and then there's like summer league in Vegas, I would go out there and try to seek out as many D-League and NBA people, meet them, switch information, tr- you know, swap information, try to email, try to, try to get in contact. But you can't just try to be to the NBA without getting better at anything. Most people who get to the NBA, they get to the NBA when they're either working as an intern and going all the way through when they're young, or they do other things like coach college, other other pro leagues, and then they get into the NBA when they're like 40, 45. There's no set age. Don't be in a rush, but you need to develop a skill that people are going to be like, you know what, that 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 coach can do this. So I would definitely seek out seek out mentors. I would definitely try to watch film and take as many notes as you can work camps in the summer, and then actually work on your skill and your craft by 
coaching on, and I don't care if it's a high school team, your own academy, seek people out to work out or, or whatever your skill is going to be in your background in coaching. That's what I think you need to do. But that those are probably the best things that I, I would advise you to do. For an entry level into the NBA, the other one would be, like you said, watching film. But also, if you learn, if you can learn how to cut film, learn how to – I mean, in Australia, we use sports code. I'm not sure what the program is in the NBA um, that they use. But, yeah, basically learning how to cut film because that's a perfect entryway. Like Pro said, you, you become an intern. If you're an intern for an NBA team on the coaching panel, you're doing all the shit jobs of cutting film till 2, 3 in the morning. Steve Kerr or Rick Carl or someone might say, get me this clip in the next five minutes and you got to go find it. So if you if you can get yourself adapted to, to, to functioning quickly and easily with sports coding and cutting film, you're halfway there. And that that's a perfect entryway. It, it does suck sometimes because it's a lot of work, but that would be another another avenue that can get you into professional. Yeah, there's actually another company called Synergy that I, I think it's sort of pretty pretty popular in the States. Most NBA teams and college teams have it. What I used to do um, when I was in Chicago, actually, they it's actually all online based. And I, they would pay people like 30, 40 bucks a game to code games for them. Pretty easy to do. They train you. I don't know if they still do it, but that's another company you should seek out, Synergy Sport. And they, you know, like I said, they've got all these people who log games all over the world for them uh, from their computer. So that's another thing you should do because everybody uses Synergy as well. So that's another avenue that you should probably look into. Yep, there you go, Ollie. Good luck with that. Um, next question is from Luke in Australia. Didn't give me a city, but we'll still read it out. This is an, um, an interesting question. Can you shed light on what it's like to be on a team when a teammate is facing criminal charges? Example, Malik Beasley's situation at the T-Wolves. Do teammates discuss these things or is it just a lingering elephant in the room? Pro, I'm going to let you answer with how you think I'd handle it with a teammate. Well, first of all, I think I'm the lingering elephant in any room that I'm in. So that's the first <laughs> thing. Second thing, um, I've never really been around a team. Like I've never been around a team that has somebody with like criminal charges like that, maybe an assault or, or something. But when you have some real serious allegations, I don't think I was around a player that had that. No, Bogues. I didn't have any serious ones. If there was a serious one, a dude like, like shut up a club or I'll probably just shut my mouth and just avoid that dude at all costs. If it was something stupid, like something petty, like, I don't know, stole something or, you know, did something stupid like a DUI, I'd definitely be taking the absolute piss out of them every chance I could and just be absolutely giving them shit for it. Like, hey, man, like, do you need a ride home? Hey, do you want my Uber account? Like that kind of stuff. I'd, I'd try to banter and make them feel like it wasn't that big of a deal. I have a laugh about it. But if it was something real serious, <laughs> I'd probably try to avoid it. But I haven't, I haven't really had any huge cases i've had i've had a few teammates get done for you know for drug a positive drug test and all that kind of stuff which is which is almost every other day in the nba um but as far as well when weed was was legal i believe now it's legal um but other than that i didn't really have any any huge issues actually i did sorry i had it's on records so i can talk about it kcp katavius coldwell pope he actually got a he got a dui i think in another state might have been michigan and then slime with the lakers and then he missed the court hearing or something along those lines and he got he, he actually got sentenced uh to to jail jail time and this is the craziest show i've seen so he they did a deal with with the district attorney or whoever it was in LA where he was he was allowed to leave his cell to come to practice and he was allowed to play home games so he was still allowed to play 
in Staples. He wasn't allowed to come on the road, and it was it was crazy, man. Like he'd be at he'd be at training sometimes, and he would um he'd just be chilling in there after training in the lounge. And I'm like, dude, are you gonna go home? And he's like, nah, man, because I gotta go back to the cell. So I'm just gonna try to stay here as long as I can, and then go back to the cell. But that was probably the craziest one. Like, and I, I gave you know he, he was a quiet dude. I gave him a little bit of shit about it, and he gave me nothing. So I just left that alone. Did you see the memes of him playing and then somebody put an ankle brace on him playing on <laughs> yeah. those ankle monitors? Yeah. I'm into some tomfoolery. That's even, I don't even know if I could even pull that one well, you off. You don't even know if it some, like it, it almost looked real because you're like, hey, maybe he does have one on because he's he's locked in the state. So that was actually, yeah, that was probably a pretty funny one for me, Luke. Um, I don't know how that was, for, you know, worked with the NBA rules because my understanding was if, you, if you're convicted of anything where you're facing jail time or, or, or a sentence that you're not supposed to play. But I do know he was with a certain agency that signed a big free agent the next year, so that might have something to do with it. But we'll, we'll move huh. on to Dean Sadler in Penrith, New South Wales. Give us a run through when you become traded in the NBA. Does the X team help with moving costs? How soon are you on the next flight? Is your locker room cleaned out, out in a box, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to hear that process. Keep the podcast stuff coming from the Golden West in Penrith. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, I mean, prior to being traded, I don't think, but I have. Uh, it is a pretty interesting. I got, I got traded in the one time in the off-season and one time mid-season when I, I had a broken leg. So when I, the main one where I really – understood how it worked was gone from Milwaukee to Golden State. I got traded right at the deadline and it's, it's crazy. Like you have, you basically get a call from the organization or your agent. Um, welcome to Golden State. We have a flight, basically have a flight for you in the next day and you need to report within 48 hours to your next city. Otherwise you can potentially get fined. And that means it was one suitcase, the bare minimum. Uh, I'll never forget I had a house and a family in Milwaukee at the time. Leave the wife at home. See you later. I'll catch up with you down the track and then basically leave the, the missus or the wife to pack the house up um, <laughs> and do all that fun stuff, box all that shit up and I'll just be waiting for you in Golden State. Uh, so then I lived in a hotel to the end of the season. The team will pack up your locker room, equipment manager will box it all up and send it to your next city. But yeah, you're basically out of there and you know, you're on the first plane smoking the next day and you don't you don't see that old franchise again until you play there. So it was easy for me at the time because it was myself and my wife only. Where it gets hard is for guys who have kids in school, for guys who have a big family, you generally leave them behind and you go to your next city and then you figure it out that next off season, whether you move them back out or not. And I know a lot of players that had been traded a few times that ended up just keeping wherever their summer base was, was where their wife and kids stayed the whole year just because they didn't want to keep moving school. So it can take a toll on your family life. And I'm sure you have some similar stories of players pro yeah dallas actually tried to trade me but i never could pass the physical so that was <laughs> that was good for me but the the weirdest thing that i ever sort of encountered um i worked with a kid in high school and college named michael bradley he was a first round pick of uh toronto and got traded a couple of times well we were i was in boston as a scout and you know he came in he was in, with i think philadelphia at the time and he was in layup lines. There was no Woj back then, so and there was no Twitter. But I read it. He got traded in layup lines. They had to come take him out of layup lines uh, during the you know, like like five or six minutes before the game started. They had to take him out of layup lines to uh, to trade him. But yeah, I mean, guys got. I, I've seen guys get traded on the road, and they had to go to their new. You were in Dallas when Harrison got traded, right? Yeah, during the game. <laughs> and the way- the weird part is, it's, it's just the weirdest deal, man. Like, you know, you check your, you know, my phone, I mean, my watch was going on, my iWatch was going off, and Woj was, you know, reported it, and I was like, get the, get out of here, man. 
And, and he's sitting right you know, in front I, of you, I, right? I, on the bench. Yeah, he was sitting, but like, I'm not going to tell. I mean, come on. They can't do it. And they had a, I don't know what they did. I, I don't, I don't know. I think he just stayed for the game and then, you know, whatever. Like, someone, I think, eventually told him, but. That was the weirdest deal I've ever seen, but that's just the NBA, man. I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I remember I was watching that game. I was watching that game, like flicking through League Pass because I, I like following the Mavs because I'm good friends with Harrison Barnes. And I'm like, man, he hasn't yeah. got back in the game. It was like the third quarter. I'm like, what's going on? And then fourth quarter, and then I, I logged onto Twitter, and it was like Harrison Barnes being traded mid game, and they had all these memes of him just sitting on the bench. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's Harrison. He's 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 the ultimate professional. He was like, no, nah, I'm going to sit this out, make everyone else feel awkward. And apparently, he sat in his yeah. he sat in his locker after after the game and didn't leave quickly. And everyone was like, what the hell's going? On? It was like real awkward. And that's yeah. that, that's Harrison. He doesn't he doesn't give a shit neither. But um, that was definitely an interesting one. We'll move on to Daniel from Warrnambool, Victoria, country town out here. This is a good question. How do you feel? About about the blatant tanking of a team like OKC chasing assets in the short term to shore up their long term, especially in a small market like they are. I'm a big OKC fan. I personally love what they're doing, but can understand a team like Charlotte, who's just been stuck in the middle for a long time and bottoming out to put bums on seats and keep the revenue flowing. It's a tricky balance for the small market teams. And I think there's pros and cons to both. I've been on teams that have tanked before. I'm not going to lie. I've been on teams that that were anti-tanking. The argument for tanking, obviously, is you get more picks, you get more assets, you, you blow it up, you develop your young guys i think what people lose sight of during tanking is you have young guys on your team you're trying to develop and you instill in them that winning isn't important it can backfire for you long term and i've seen that firsthand especially you know in milwaukee at times where it was like oh we'll just we're rebuilding don't worry about winning well now you've got that guy for the next five or six years on a contract whether he's a rookie or not and you've instilled bad habits on him um so i think it's a fine line i think teams in small markets kind of have to do it that way because they're not going to sign the lebrons and the the big names because they have to kind of rebuild through the draft and, and get good picks and hope they turn out well but it is a it is a fine balance, and I, I don't think I'm set on either way. I think I think you can get bad habits from it, and you can also hit the lottery and get a, a number one pick, bro. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, back twenty, you know, seventeen years ago when I got in the league, the big thing was getting cap room. That's what all these GMs wanted to do: cap room, cap room, cap room. But they figured out that it was a little overrated. I think now the big thing is getting these pick swaps and these future picks. You know, to try to you know hopefully you, you hit a home run. The one thing about it, Bogues, is Sam Presti is one of the best GMs in the league. And I think that the NBA is sort of fixed in the sense that, like, there's, like, six teams that have a chance to win it every year. Probably not even that. Yeah, if that. You yeah. know, probably three, three to five, right? And if you're not in that and you don't have the stable of players, you need two things. If you're a small market team, you need to be able to do two things. You need to be able to evaluate talent and you need to be able to develop that talent. And yes, it could have a lot of bad, if you don't have a, a plan, you just want to get these picks and you don't have good development and you don't have a plan in place, it could be a disaster. It could be the Titanic. But if you have a plan and you hold these guys accountable, I, I'm not a huge fan of taking Horford's contract on, but getting Horford in your locker room and on your team is actually, I think, a pretty good deal for them, you know, to have all these young players and try to have a couple of these veterans that are going to sort of, I don't think. I don't think there's a lot of mentorship going on with veterans anymore like it used to be 15 years ago, but having that presence. And if you, you have all these young players, they're going to have like 17 picks in the next three years, first round or four years. So they're going to have all these picks. You're going to have to pick the right guys, develop them, and hold those guys accountable. And But I, I think trying to be bad for eight years in a row is not good. They won't do that. 
I think like the first couple of years, you bad, get those high picks like they did when they got Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. But I think in the next couple of years, they'll be bad. But I think with the, you know, right now it's all about Shea Alexander and the guy they drafted from France in this pit in this draft. And then, you know, they'll add players to it. They'll add more veterans to it. And Sam Presti ha- has 19 ideas. I mean, the guy's, the guy is pretty good when it comes to flipping things and, and moving things along. What's worse, being, what's NBA purgatory, being from seven to 11 every year or bottoming out for two or three years, being last and then, then surging back up, in your opinion? Yeah, it's, yeah you don't want to be in purgatory because you're never going to get really good unless you really hit home runs in those picks. And let's be honest, all-stars and franchise players are going to be picked one through five for the most part rather than 13, 14, 15. So you might as well bottom out, but you need a plan and you need a development plan. Like if you don't have both, you're going to be screwed, you know, and, and Oklahoma City has been very good with developing the players and, and, and picking players. So I think they'll be okay. Charlotte, other, you know, other story, like it's hard because they're in purgatory, you know, for the most part every year. And, you know, they haven't really drafted one, two or three in a while. So it's like, it's hard for them. Yeah, we were stuck in, when I was in Milwaukee, we were, we were in that situation where our, our team owner at the time, Senator Cole, um, his goal was just just make the playoffs. I'm happy if you make the playoffs. And that was the goal that he set to to the GM and the coach, and that was what we, we played for. We went to the playoffs a few seasons, but it was always at a seven or eight seed, and then you're not, you're not getting a good pick the next year, and, and you're not getting a good free agent. So we were just – we were in purgatory my whole career there. Basically, we were we were from seven from six to eleven every season. Like, and we, you know, a lot of times ninth is the worst because you're getting you're not getting a great pick and you don't go to the playoffs. So you don't get no experience. So yeah, I think I think OKC will be all right. I like I like the way they rebuilt. They obviously just you know revamped their roster and they're they're going young. I don't, I don't think they expected to be as good as they were last season to be honest. And they, they 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 did pretty well. So we'll go on to our last question. Brendan Proud from my home suburb of Endeavor Hills. So shout out to Brendan. Similar question it's as a long-suffering Knicks fan was hoping you could give me some give me a complete breakdown of why the Knicks have been a losing organization and why guys don't want to play there I think there's a few facets to it one is uh, the owner and Dolan gets a pretty bad rap I don't know I don't know too much about him I have a good friend Jason Calacanis who's a, a big-time tech entrepreneur he's a huge Knicks fan his dream is to one day buy the Knicks and he'll, he'll be pretty close to the way his finances are going he was a, an initial investor in, in in Uber and he's the first to tell you that but he's a big Knicks fan so I know a little bit about about what they're going through and Dolan's number one apparently uh, players don't want to play for him for whatever reason um, and, and they've just been a revolving door you know sometimes these big-time organizations pull all their money together to try and sign big names and they don't they don't really encourage a whole lot of or emphasize development like the small markets need to because they can be like okay Milwaukee you develop that guy and then we'll come and offer him five years later and steal him from you because we're New York but it's, it's kind of backfired because no one no one is signing New York they haven't really set a culture about themselves I think revamping their coaching staff is going to be big for them I think that'll help them they've been stuck there for, for a long long time when I was when I was initially in the league the first I think from 2005 6 to 2010 they went through a phase where they like if you didn't if you didn't have some sort of criminal conviction you couldn't sign there they went through a phase where they they were signing like you know the rough and tough label unlabeled thug type guys and they had they had an intimidating team individually but they just couldn't win games um and they've just been stuck in that round how, how do you see that going i see the same bogues and, and the problem with them obviously it comes from ownership like no offense obviously but i just just to be honest about it like you got to hire a GM who knows what he's doing. And then you got to give that person the opportunity to do their job and, and not really sort of 
you know, hire the right person and let them do their job and, and don't sort of, you know, make decisions for them or, or what have you. They're so corporate in New York, you got to get through 40 people to get to another person. And what they've done is they've struck out on major free agents. And then what they do is they overpay B-level guys in free agency and they have this bad cap management. They haven't really drafted well. And instead of like saying, okay, we're really bad. Let's draft, develop. Don't worry about signing big free agents in the summer because, you know, what, what's going to happen is they're all going to go to other places and we're going to overpay by 40 million bucks uh, a B-level free agent. You're better off developing young and then, and then just waiting for those players to develop for a couple of years. Every GM that's been in there tries to make these big splashes. Home run play. You know, to, yep. you know, you gotta worry about the fans. Don't worry about the fans. They're going to show up. And if Dolan loses money, he'll just raise cable up five cents a month and he'll make <laughs> about 80 million. So don't, it's not a big deal, but everybody there tries to, you know, make a big splash, big splash, big splash. No, just develop your talent, draft the right guys, manage your cap. But like the Phil Jackson hire, the, you know, as a GM, he's never been a GM before. And some of the other moves they've made, you know, it, it's tough, man. Like, I mean, I think they get better with Thibs. I think they get better with Thibs. You know, Thibs will definitely rattle some cages there. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're just – even they're looking at their roster now, you're like, who, who's your guy that you – you know, I mean, Barrett, obviously, who's your, who are your guys? Who are your two or three? You don't know, you know? No, Barrett and Robinson, to me, probably those two. But they're, 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 they're unproven. So they don't really have anybody they can hang their hat on. So it's going to be tough. I don't care about – you know, no one cares it's New York anymore. It's not like in the last few years they haven't gotten anybody. So it's not – like it's not like being in LA and everybody wants to be out in LA or Miami or even Phoenix. It's New York, but no one really cares. So you got to build a winner. And the problem is you're not going to get, you know, they got to, I think, I think Leon Rose will do a pretty good job. Um, but like, that's why like big time GM candidates didn't really want to be there for a while because they know if the owner sort of sticks their nose in, it's going to be tough. And you know, most big time GMs want like an owner that's going to let them do their job, and they haven't really been doing that for a while. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think they're they're going to be down the bottom for for a number of years. Thanks yeah. all the questions for everyone that that sent them in for ask me anything. We try to get to the most random questions, the most controversial. Not too worried to send those through. We usually put out a, a post a couple of days before we go and record this. So at Road Bogues on all the social media channels, we're going to leave you with story time with Bogues. Going to be story time with Pro. Well, well suited to dress like Santa. He's got the physique. <laughs> I just can't fit down any chimneys, so don't worry about it. <laughs> no, nah, it's a, a uh, occupational health safety these days. You, you have to go through the front door, mate. You, you get sued by someone. So Appreciate it. Um, what do you got for us? What do you got for us? I'll give you two stories. And they're not, they're not very long at all. When I was with Tim Grover, we had uh, Eddie Curry as one of our clients. You know, Eddie was a you know, big man, played for Chicago in, in the Knicks. Uh, ironically enough. And Eddie had a little bit of a weight problem, you know, most of his career. And when he was with the uh, Chicago, he had to get to a certain weight. Like he had to lose like 25 or 30 pounds. They wanted him coming in at a certain weight. So Eddie did great job, you know, getting down, you know, he was one of the most athletic bigs I've ever seen. Like he, he was ridiculous. It was tough. It was tough. Athletic. Yeah. So he got down his weight on a Friday. We said, Eddie, you're down your weight. You're good. 
you know, you got a week left until it's weighing, you're good. So you're all right. You don't have to work out this weekend. You're fine. Weigh him on Monday, gained about 22 pounds. In two days. Yeah. So Eddie Eddie will tell you the truth. He's not going to lie to you. So Eddie, what the fuck were you doing for three days? And he was like, I ate. I ate pancakes and drank Kool-Aid for three straight days. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so I go back to Boston the next year because I would bust his ball. Like you think when you and I went at it, him and I are probably one of the best ever comedy acts ever. So we go back to Boston. He, you know, he put Chicago Bulls come to town. I go in the locker room before they get there and I put a, I put a, a tub of Bisquick pancake mix and a case of Kool-Aid in his locker. He came out and he goes, you motherfucker, I know you did. He starts chasing me around. So that was, uh, that was my Eddie Curry story. And I'll give you a Kobe story real quick. In 2011, during the, uh, the, the walkout, the walkout was about to end. And he brought me in to work him out for about a week and, and to go over some film stuff. So we try to work out this random place at like, you know, nine o'clock in Irvine. And, uh, and the gym was a little funky. It wasn't a, a good gym. So he goes, All right, I, I know another place. And we're driving. I say, KB, where are we going to go? He goes, I, I got a JCC. I said, fuck no, J- KB. We can't go to a JCC and so work J- out. What's a JCC? Goes, oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. That's an American thing. It's the Jewish Community Center. Oh. <laughs> it's like where, um, yeah, it's like that's what they call it. It's, I've worked out a lot before. Of yeah, I've worked out some before in Utah with Majerus. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I said, KB, and this is before like Twitter was a huge thing. He goes, I go, there's going to be people with camera phones. No doubt about it. This workout's going to be on TMZ tomorrow. I'll bet you a thousand. And he goes, no, I'm like, we're good. We're good. So we pull up, you know, he makes like one phone call and they got like 80 people there waiting for him in the back, you know, takes his car. We're good. We walk in, we work out and like, there's like, like 11 and under tournaments and leagues going on in this gym. We're working out. You got an NBA hall of fame working out with this fat guy in the, in the corner, in the corner court. And you know, lo and behold, the next day you go on, if you go on TMZ and do a search for TMZ, Kobe, JCC, you're going to see a grain, a grainy video like the JFK assassination of me working out Kobe and some JCC and they're busting his balls about it on, on TMZ. It's pretty funny. What, saying he couldn't find a better gym or something? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then Kobe's one with the Jews or something like that. Like they've got, <laughs> they've got some headline. You know, it's just bust. They're having fun with it, but. Kobe was, uh, yeah, that was a funny night. We, we, were, we were together for about 11 days straight right before the lockout ended. Actually, I was with them when they made that trade for Chris Paul, and then we were working out. Um, he was lifting, and even that was probably the last time I ever lifted weights. I was lifting, and I got the, the tweet that the trade got rescinded, and I was with him right when he got it because I, I was the one who gave it to him. He wasn't much of a, a tech guy back then. And, uh, oh, it was so funny. It was so funny. Yeah, the, the they famously David Stern famously famously reneged that tra- reneged on on that trade, right? Cancelled it. Oh God, yeah. He he loved Chris Paul like like Rondo. He the two guys he loved the most is Rondo and Westbrook as far as matching his athle- um, competitiveness and basketball IQ and just wanted to rip your heart out. But you know the Chris Paul, he thought that that was good. He loved Gasol was his, probably the best teammate he's ever had. Uh, at least that's what he told me. So he would have lost Gasol in the trade, I think. Um, so he, he was upset about that, but he wanted Chris Paul. He thought that that could sort of do it. They would change the way they would play out of the triangle and more pick and rolls. And, you know, he could be off the ball a little bit, which he liked. 
and um, Chris Paul could guard people, so he liked that too because he had to guard every point guard. Yeah, he was pretty pit- he was pretty bummed out about it, and then really bummed out that they gave away Lamar Odom for nothing to Dallas. Like the next, like two days later, they made that Lamar Odom trade, and then then he fi- you know you could sort of figure out that the team was going to go you know go south after that. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Pro. Um, this is our our first first pod together. I mean, thanks for your time. I think people will really make use of, of what you're talking about. You've been in the industry for, what, 20, 30 years now. You've seen probably just as much as me, if not more, on, on all the different walks of life, and you literally started from the bottom. You grew up grew up across the street from the old Boston Garden, right? Across the street. It was it, Ironically enough, it was across the street, and then when I moved to Chicago, the, my view out of my, uh, my bedroom window was the United Center. But yes, I did. Um, I, I grew up literally 300, 400 yards away from the Boston Garden. That's why he's got that Boston accent with Lisp. I love it. It's great. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Thanks, everyone. We'll have Pro on on episode three, so keep a lookout. Thanks for joining Rogue Bogues. We appreciate it. Subscribe, tell a friend, tell your grandma, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for getting Rogue with us.